0: To more.
1: Hey, it's the Big Sky Breakdown. Man, we haven't done one of these in a long time. We've been giving you Big Sky Breakdown content in terms of press conference stuff, I've, you know, following up with coaches, all that. But it's been a minute since Brooks Nuanas and Coulter Nuanas, that's me, Wrapped a little bit about the Big Sky Conference. So first and foremost, we're going to share a little piece uh, of audio that we aired on Nuanas Now, my new daily radio show. It's the same format as it's been for a long time with Ryan Tutel. Tutel Nuanas, though, it is no more. At least for the time being, Ryan is hitting the road. He's out for a while, and so I will be carrying the flag. Still the only statewide daily sports talk show in the state of Montana, so you can find it on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. You can also follow uh, it on swx montana television every single day from 4 to 6 p.m or you can find it listen live as well 102.9 espn.com all you gotta do is click on the listen live but i know a lot of the people that are listening to this you're podcasters you love it you like to listen to your stuff on your own time you want to do it when you're working out or after the kids go to bed or when you're taking your morning hike shout out ty gregorak or whatever it might be uh, but Podcast-wise, you can find it on all your podcasting platforms as well. since is the Nuana's Now. It's the same two-tell Nuanas channel. But that's enough plugging on the other stuff. This is the Big Sky Breakdown. This is SkylineSportsMT.com. And this podcast, proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot Communications, taking care of all of your telecommunication needs. If you're a business, you need a network set up, whatever you need. Blackfoot Communications, they are money in the bank. They set up our entire network at Missoula Broadcasting Company. They're awesome. And they're going to help us at Skyline Sports, too, with a bunch of really cool, innovative stuff as well. So expect a new Skyline Sports newsletter. Expect some really cool podcast series coming up. I can't tease them too much, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to love these. All roads lead to Butte, America, and that's going to be one of the most fun things that we do in the year of 2021. So we hope to keep you entertained, we hope to keep you full of knowledge, and we hope that everybody made it through what was a horrific year this last year, uh, but we hope you, we can continue to bring you some joy. And uh, let's get down to it. Before we share this segment uh, of that we recorded for Nuanas Now a little earlier on this week, um, gotta just give you the lay of the land if you haven't heard fans aren't allowed at uh, bobcats at brick breeding field house or at dalberg arena but uh, we can go but it's objectively a really strange experience i know brooks shared some thoughts on what it was like from a tangible perspective shooting photos um but brooks just from uh just a fan perspective i mean just go into a game i guess as a photographer you get to move around at least a little bit but it's totally weird just being in the arena completely empty right
2: yeah, you know, like you like you said. You just said it was twenty twenty one. My calendar says two thousand eleven, so I missed, I missed the last decade, but went fast. Um like we said on the ESPN segment, uh, I won't I won't uh mince my words, it sucks. Um it, it's it sucks. It's really different. It's it's hard. It's hard it's hard to, to watch, it's hard to be around. Um you look around and just say, like what in the actual hell is going on? Um it's different. It's way different. The, the, one of the things that's so different is, is the refs. Um, oh, man. The refs having masks. I, I, I love watching the refs at this level especially. Are, are, they have a unique uh, set of skills. You know, I'll call that there's some plenty of talent out there. There's also some major lack of talent, and it kind of makes the games really fun because um, some guy can get in over his head and then watching what he says to players and coaches is just amazing. It's one of my favorite parts. All that's gone. Um, but the other thing that's so hard is coaches. There's no lip reading. So, like, you're yelling through a mask. We've all done it. We've all tried to order a coffee, and the person's like, what did you want? Chicken nuggets with your coffee? or What did you say? Like, you have no – it's so hard to talk through a mask in some settings. Well, a basketball arena where there's a bunch of guys sweating and bumping and pounding a basketball, and the sneakers are squeaking. The coaching element's really hard. So, my, Two of my favorite parts of, of basketball, the interpersonal relationships that get created within that little 40-minute bubble – um, those are really different, so it's it's hard. It's it's a completely different role.
1: From an officiating perspective, on one hand, you know, I've been to now four Big Sky conference games, and on one hand, I would say this: I think that we've talked a lot about. So here's the way that works in men's basketball: the Western the Western Official Consortium is a, a pool of officials from all the Western United States conferences. And so when people say Big Sky refs, it's actually not Big Sky refs. It's Western United States refs. But a lot of times, a lot of the same refs get a lot of the same games in the same leagues because there is a seniority and a hierarchy that exists in the officiating pool. So naturally, you know, the, uh, the Friday night Washington-Oregon game is going to get uh, objectively probably more veteran crew than uh, Idaho State-Southern Utah on a Thursday. But uh, because of this pandemic, uh, a couple different factors here. I've always thought that a lot of times when you have an overmatched crew doing a big game, particularly in Missoula or Bozeman, a lot of times the refs get flustered by the atmosphere, and a lot of times the crowds at both Brick Breed and Fieldhouse and Dahlberg Arena have an influence on the way the refs call the games. The, the games have been, in my mind, more even. Physical play had been has been allowed at a much higher level. That said, though, it's the same crew back-to-back games and that influences the second game big time you can say for a in a positive or negative fashion but brooks you've done a lot of refing and you know like once you are into the flow of it and you know the tendencies of players it does influence the way that you call the game right
2: it does yeah i've refed a ton i've for the better part of you know eight or nine years and um it, it's it's so different when you do know the players especially when it's kind of back to back i do i do think that you kind of Unfortunately, at times, set a standard for some players when you know what their, what their level of play should be. If are not reaching that team, they're not getting calls because they're playing under their abilities, where if you just didn't know them, they might be getting those calls. So some of those little inherent biases, um, some of the, uh, the, the, the battles interpersonally between players, you kind of see, like, the first game these two guys were going at it, well, the second game, we're going to shut this down. Um, where you might have not really known that the first game. So that part really is interesting. The Western, you know, you talk about the consortium of refs. I think the Big Sky playing on such a specific schedule Thursday, Saturday, also changed it because, like, in the Pac-12, there's games all throughout the weeks. So they like, national TV and stuff. So the Thursday, Saturday thing, these guys, almost all of these guys and gals have other jobs, especially at this level. I mean, they all are professionals in some fashion. They're not just professional refs. Um, So I think that a lot of times the Thursday-Saturday thing plays into their professional work schedules, you know? And, like, I've never very rarely see refs I've ever seen in any game, whether it's the Big Sky Tournament. During the Big Sky Tournament, is a great sample size because you see four different sets of refs every single day, and there's none I've never not. There's no new ones, you know? I've seen all of these people before. So, like you said, they do draw from a similar pool. It is interesting to see – I can't wait to see some of the women's refs cuz a lot of the women's refs have been around a little bit longer Yes. that they're more stable in their um in in like in this level the the women's level might be like, a little bit higher as far as our national ranking so a lot Certainly. of these, a lot of these refs kind of want to hang in this level like they really like the big guy know the the main guy I can't his name is slipping me right now um short bigger bald dude um he's mm. been he's the head guy he's yes. been around for 25 years um he knows everyone inside and out. He knows the league like the back of his hand. He's on some of these coaches for all 20 years they've been there. Um, Bob is his name. Bob. So they've had they've had a lot a lot of different. I can't wait to see what the women's game looks like because the men's right now I think is pretty hard. It's kind of hard to ref when there's the energy's different. I'm interested to see what you think. Did you think that in the Montana game, Northern Colorado got a, a, a more fair shake? those two games because the crowd wasn't just destroying the rest. do you think it was more even that way
1: absolutely and i thought that yeah, I mean, he, yeah. He, here's here's the thing and th- th- this is not a, a bias on the referees part here's the thing is with the way montana's built right now particularly with the emergence and improvement of kyle owens in his second year combined with the fact that they brought in mike Stedman as a guy that they expect to be an all big sky type guy Well, they're going to throw the ball to those two guys on the block more often than not. Well, Kyle Owens just went, I think, uh, 2 of 19 over the weekend. I mean, I saw him get hit on the wrist and or I saw the ball get touched by the defender on at least half of those field goal attempts. This is not like he was sitting there missing 18-foot jump shots. He was missing shots in the lane, and a lot of it was because of the contact, and so even though you can't say okay, the refs were favoring Northern Colorado. Montana's just getting the ball to the post way more, but that in turn hurts the Grizzlies more because Northern Colorado's not trying to throw the ball to Kerr Jokic. All he does is sit there and protect the rim. He's not an offensive threat. So, so when he gets away with more contact, it uh, that is advantage Northern Colorado because he's not going to incur very much contact on the offensive side of the ball. So um, on that note, I want, to, I want you to hold that thought about the, the quality of the women's league because I do think it's an interesting fold. This is the Big Sky Breakdown presented by Blackfoot Communications. Uh, Blackfoot Communications, proud supporter of Big Sky Conference athletics, particularly Montana State and Montana athletics across the Treasure State. Here's Brooks and my segment from Nuwana's Now, my daily radio show, from earlier on this week.
0: To more.
1: Going out of the Rankage Brothers RV phone line and welcome in. Brooks Nuanez to Nuanez Now, so I guess that means it's a double Nuanez Now. We're going to be breaking down some Big Sky Conference hoops on both the men's and women's sides. And you know what? Because we love shameless self-promotion. Around the Big Sky presented by Skyline Sports. Skylinesportsmt.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season, we'll have all sorts of basketball content for you. We're also rolling out a new series here. So stay tuned with that. Uh, just about memorable big sky figures from across all sporting landscapes. And Brooks, it's been a while since you've been on the show, but uh, how you doing, my man? What's going on?
2: It has been a little while. I'm are really glad to be here. It's the first time with just you and I, no Gus. While I miss him, I'm happy that you're still around. Gives me an opportunity to get on the Zilla's Radio Station.
1: Before we get into breaking down the actual sporting aspect of this, we've had a variety of media guys on this show over in recent weeks, talking about just their own personal experiences covering sports as it stands right now. But we haven't had any photographers. You're the primary photographer at Skyline Sports. I know you've been able to make it down to Brick Breeding Fieldhouse in Bozeman a couple times to shoot some basketball games. I know you're still waiting to actually see Danny Sprinkle's team live and in person against a Division One team. Only got to catch up against Yellowstone Christian so far. Uh, but you have had a chance to shoot the Bobcat women. Uh, once or twice, but just broadly from a photographer perspective, what's it like? Because we've we've heard from myself, radio guys, writers, and TV guys, but from your angle, how much different is it?
0: Yeah,
2: it's a lot different. Um, the, the game experience is drastically different in a probably a negative way. You know, it's it's really fun to sit on the court, and, and the angle that you have is really unique. Um, the size of men's basketball and even Division One women's basketball. The size and strength, especially down low, is always impressive when you're 10 feet away from it. Uh, the angle that you get to shoot basketball at is really intimate and fun. Um, you know, basketball players generally don't have a of clothing on, so you get to see a lot of body movement and a lot of mu- uh, muscle structure and a lot of different – you get to hear a lot of talking It's the banter that's happening between coaches, especially in referees, coaches, and players. Um, so that's where I really get my biggest feel for the game. Um, it happens in football too, but in football I never have heard very rarely a head coach talk to a ref or a head coach talk to his team even, um, occasionally on the bench situation. But in basketball, you get to hear word for word for the entire 40 minutes um, exactly kind of what's going on in huddles, um, in timeouts during free throws. So there's a lot of, of intricacies that you pick up from that, which I'm missing out on this year uh, currently. So, you know, it's a bummer, but I have been to some games and, and the setup is – is functional while not optimal. Um, so I'm still excited to see some basketball, see some live sporting events. Um, there's been some pretty good energy from teams generally. Um, you know, I think co- college kids thrive off of crowds a little bit more than we, what we see maybe the pro setting. You know, the NFL, the NBA, the product hasn't necessarily slipped because these guys are professionals but by, by different things for different reasons. And I think that the college setting it's, it's kind of important for that fan base to get behind players and you feed off that energy and those emotions. And so, you know, currently missing that aspect of it. We'll see how it it grows throughout the season. But I'm happy that games are at least happening in in most capacities.
1: Everybody keeps asking me what's it like going to these games. And I tell them it's not just the energy that provides the fun and the passion and all that, but I think that one of the – we would both agree one of the best parts about covering sports, particularly at the Montana schools, is it's almost a guarantee – you're going to see one guy or maybe a couple guys play above their head for at least a moment of the the game because they're feeding off the crowd. They're feeding off the great environment. I mean, how many guys have played for the Montana Grizzlies basketball team, for example? Or, I mean, the Lady Grizz are probably the greatest example of it ever. They've had young ladies that have played far beyond their – Natural capabilities because of the crowd and the support and everything like that. So I think it does. It 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 impedes the level that a lot of players can get to. Like the game on Monday was so bizarre. a 9 a.m. tip in an empty Duluth Arena. It was almost like watching a loser out AAU game, except for you realize this is a Division One conference basketball game.
2: It's so true. It did feel like an AAU game. (laughs) It's, like, in the auxiliary gym. Um, it's not in, like, the main three courts. It's in that side court. It may even be, like, a busted rim, and everything's bad. It's cold. Nothing, there's no, like, you know, a lot of times that I've noticed in basketball, it gets pretty warm because people are inside. It's a winter sports Everyone comes in with their jackets on, and, and they're, they're standing up, sitting down, getting popcorn and hot dogs, all within this enclosed environment. It gets generally pretty warm. Uh, but these games have kind of been, like, this cold concrete feel. Uh, which is it's definitely different.
1: Before we start uh, looking a little bit into the uh, detailed breakdown of the league, and we will start and, and end probably with Montana and Montana State since those are the teams we've seen the most, or at least we cover the most. We haven't seen Montana State hardly at all in recent weeks. Um, but, Brooks, the overall landscape of the league has changed so much, particularly on the men's side. On the women's side, you see a lot of stability in the coaching ranks and I think that that's directly correlated then to some of the top programs. Uh, to me it's no surprise that Idaho, Idaho State are among the favorites when they both have coaches that have been there for more than 10 years. You look at Trisha Binford in her 16th season at Montana State and Eastern Washington head coach Wendy Shuler. She's in year 20 uh, at Eastern Washington. I know Lori Payne is kind of the out, the outsider in terms of being new to the league in year four here at Northern Arizona but you see a lot of stability across the league. On the men's side, though we've seen a massive amount of turnover on the men's side since that uh, high water mark I, I would call that 2017 18 season the high watermark when guys like Michael Loguin Mod Rory from Montana Tyler Hall uh, for Montana State when they were all juniors and there was some great seniors ahead of them and some great underclassmen behind them that was kind of the peak of big Sky basketball and at least in the seven years you and I have covered this thing together you know that that year I think the big Sky was 10 games over 500 in the non-conference. They got their RPI uh, all the way up to, I believe, 13th. A lot of people thought that Montana got completely screwed by getting a 14 seed, uh, despite the league being so good and Montana winning 16 league games that, that year. And, you know, uh, the Grizzlies also winning 26 overall games. But you look around the league, Shante Leggins uh, in the the beginnings of his career at Easter Washington, he's done a good job replacing Jim Hayford. Idaho, since they fired Don Verlin has definitely taken a significant step down. Idaho State, since they got rid of Bill Evans, definitely taken a significant step down. Montana State, year 200 Danny Sprinkle. It seems like a good fit, but we don't see anybody as talented as Tyler Hall or Harold Frey out there yet, and that was one thing that Brian Fish did objectively very well was bring in really talented players. At Northern Arizona, I know Jack Murphy had a tough time uh, retaining talent, but he had, didn't have a tough time bringing in talent. And now, you know, NAU, they do have a, a dynamic guard in Cam Shelton, but we'll see if they can fill the ranks uh, like they have. Northern Colorado, an interesting one because they've had a couple different coaching changes in recent years from B.J. Hill to Jeff Linder and now to Steve Smiley. But UNC, uh, they what I watched on on Saturday and Monday, they look like the exact same team. They don't have an Andre Spider or a Jordan Davis, but the system – remains the same, and that makes sense, given that Steve Smiley was an assistant under Jeff Linder there uh, for several different uh, for several seasons in a row before taking over as the head guy. Uh, Barrett Peary, he's a little bit more entrenched now at Portland State, and that style looks similar. Uh, Brian Katz is, is kind of like the the dawn, along with Randy Ray at Weber State. Brian Katz, of course, at Sacramento State, uh, approaching his uh, second decade in the Big Sky Conference, but they look largely the same. And then Southern Utah now, Todd Simon, used to be kind of the new guy on the block now, He's one of the more veteran coaches. And then, of course, you got Randy Ray at Weaver State uh, moving into his 16th season there at the helm for the Wildcats. But, Brooks, what sort of of influence do you think just the turnover in coaching has had? Because it seems as if, uh, uh, even though maybe the success wasn't there from a wins perspective, you had some pretty dynamic and really excellent recruiters at some of the the middle-of-the-pack schools. And I just don't know if we necessarily have that uh, in the big sky, especially on the men's side right now
2: yeah and as you mentioned there's a little bit of new blood which is interesting because some of uh, the big sky's legacy has always been guys getting passed down through different coaching trees i know don verlin was a part of um of uh, in montana he spent some time i, I believe in arizona there's, there's guys that have been around um that with some new blood you, you'll start to see different recruiting styles guys that are looking for different pieces that maybe aren't necessarily what we're used to seeing in the big sky um, I think that it kind of goes hand in hand with how much is the coaching turnover affecting recruiting as well as as um, team play as much as the transfer rules and those kind of things changing across college sports in general with the ability to come and go from programs in a much easier way. And I think that, that we're starting to definitely feel the first the first generation of of that that new transfer rule that makes it super easy to to be fluid within any program at any level in many ways, uh, we're, we're starting to see that first generation, that first four years kind of be now implemented into the history of the big sky. Um, so you start to see that transfers come and go. So, you know, I, I know that Cameron um, set, or is it Cam Satwater for Montana? Cam Satwater. Northern yep. Arizona. Yep. Yeah. Came from Northern Arizona and, and, and already left Montana, you know, played was a part of two weeks of actual regular season basketball, which is really unique. And you start to see that, I think across the board, the junior college transfers as well as drop-downs or parallel transfers, it really starts to change the dynamic of the league when guys are coming and going a little bit. New coaching staff are starting to bring guys and lose guys, and I think that kind of creates a little bit of uncertainty in the league as far as uh, the product you get from you know night in, night out.
1: It's a great point. I mean, how much different would we have thought of the league last year and this year. Brooks Nuanas, by the way, joining us on the Rangich Brothers RV phone line. It's the Around the Big Sky segment. We'll be doing this most weeks, probably, presented by Skyline, Sports, Skyline MT.com. And, I mean, it's so true, Brooks. If we looked around the league and Cameron Tyson was going to be a junior at Idaho instead of, I don't even know where he ended up, but he was probably the runner-up for freshman of the year a couple years ago. If Boo Boo Woods was a senior point guard at Portland State... You know, if if Isaac Bonton was at Montana State right now as a senior instead of ripping it up in the Pac-12, if Brandon Boyd was still at Idaho State or Novak Topolovich for or or, or Ballant Moxon. I mean, Idaho State had a bunch of guys that sort of left abruptly when when Bill Evans um, was not renewed there at, at Idaho State. Um, it, it just goes on down the line. I mean, there's but the other thing is then we see this huge influx of transfers as well. But it seems as if those guys maybe uh, they don't have as easy of a time uh, acclimating. Right now in the league, when you look at just st- from a statistical standpoint, uh, pretty much everybody in the league has uh, at least one impact transfer. Isaiah Brown, the kid from Northwestern who's at Weber State, right now he's second in the league in scoring. He almost... Uh, went to Montana. He's a Seattle guy. I know that he had strong connections to the Montana coaching staff, but instead, you know, he ends up at, at Weber State. Tavion Jones from Southern Utah, Illinois transfer. I know Danny Sprinkle had an inside track on him at Montana State, but they ended up not taking him. But he's averaging 18 points per game uh, there at at Southern Utah. Uh, James Scott at Portland State. He's one of the leading scorers in the league. You know, Amin Adamu, a former junior college transfer guy, Jabril Bello, a former junior college transfer guy, Xavier Bishop, a former Division I transfer guy, all three of those guys at Montana State having an impact. And so it's actually kind of ironic that here we are with the preseason league favorite being Eastern Washington, and we'll see if they can get this thing back on track because Eastern, you know, they have hardly played any games. They've had almost all of their Big Sky Conference games canceled, and right now they're going to be in quarantine for uh, at least another week because of more positive tests. But it's kind of ironic because I think Eastern used to always be a team that had an impact transfer or two, and now they're the ones that are actually riding uh, with some of the the four-year guys like Jacob Davidson and Kim Aiken and Tanner Groves, uh, and, and even Ellis Magnuson as well, although he's had uh, some limited action this year uh, because of both injury and illness. But um, it's a great point because I think we would look at the league completely differently if we had you know senior guards like Boo Boo Woods and Brandon Boyd and... Uh, you know, guys like that leading their squads right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a really big part of the the, the fun part of what mid-major basketball is, is is that you do get those four-year guys, and you do create these rivalries, and league play is so dynamic and intense because these guys have been lining up against each other for, for, for many years, many games. Um, that part has definitely changed right now in the big sky, and I think that that's just – it's not a – Necessarily a side of the times. I think it's a little bit of just the pendulum swings back and forth. Um, I think that they're the big guys not out of that ability to create those rivalries and to create those long-term four-year guys. It's just like you mentioned with the new blood and coaching stuff. I think it's just kind of a bunch of a bunch of different factors coming into one. It's not necessarily a perfect storm, but it is just a different time in the league. I think it, it might not last more than last year was a little bit like this, but we'll call this year and next year um you know maybe a little bit of a different time in the big sky as far as those those traditional rivalries those traditional especially in the guard position I always feel like there's just such good dynamic guard rivalries throughout the big sky um this year I think by the end of it we'll see you know if if those have been created but um and I think a lot of it starts with Montana Montana State you know I think that we, we we talk about starting and ending almost everything with them because they are the flagship programs um as far as in men's basketball, Montana, Weaver State, and Montana State has been there. You know, they've been close, and they've had a lot of talent in the last five years. Um, but those two schools both have Montana starts a bunch of young guys with a, a couple transfers in the backcourt, or at least one in Cameron Parker. And the, the two young guards in, in Beasley and Whitney are both Unique, dynamic, but but freshmen. They're, they're, they're brand new, and, and same with Montana State. You know, the transfer, the junior college transfer from the uh, College of Idaho, and Mike Hood, and like you mentioned with uh, Amin Adamu, um, those guys are new to the league. Those guys are different players, and the, the kid, um, forgive me for forgetting his last name, from the Netherlands, um, who was a freshman guard for Montana State. Those kind of New, uh, new blood, the, the rivalry has not been able to be created yet. So by the end mm-hmm. of the year, I think we'll see uh, Montana Montana State kind of create those things and be the leaders we will, um, by conference play, we'll be able to see what, where, where, where those backcourts kind of play out, what the rivalries look like.
1: Which then leads us into the two Montana schools because um, I know that Brian Fish did bring in some, some transfers, but the program largely was built on the four-year guys, particularly the foundation of Tyler Hall and Harold Frey and Montana... Under Travis DeCure, he inherited a couple really good guys, particularly four-year guy like Jordan Gregory and also one of the best transfers to hit the league in the last decade or so in Martin Bruining. But then Travis DeCure decided to kind of be, be on the forefront of this transfer phenomenon, adding guys like Ahmad Rory, uh, Donovan Dorsey, Jamara Coe, Kendall Manuel. And Montana was basically a Pac-12 light team for a couple years, and the the proof was in the pudding as far as, far as the results of those two squads, you know, back-to-back Big Sky Championships, both regular season and tournament, and 52 total wins, you know, tie the school record two years in a row of 26 total wins each year. And they also spliced them in with some great four-year guys like Michael Ogine and Bobby Moorhead, of course. But now it seems as if it's completely reversed. Dave Sprinkle has tried to re- completely refortify this roster, and he has brought in some four-year guys, but mostly it's been uh, splicing in the ranks with transfers. And then Travis DeCure, while they are relying heavily on Michael Stedman to transfer from San Jose State, most of the team is made up of freshmen and sophomores. Like against Northern Colorado down the stretch, they played – uh, three freshmen and two sophomores in crunch time, both games. And so it's been interesting to see sort of the roles reverse there. Um, but, Brooks, I know that uh, you haven't really got a chance to see the Bobcat men since that Yellowstone Christian game, which seems like it was a year ago. Uh, but the Montana men, I know you haven't seen them live and in person, but you have been checking them out on the live stream. What's your initial take on Travis DeCure's pretty young squad?
2: Yeah, I think that that's probably the easiest way to describe it is they're, they're pretty darn young Um it's also a different style of team. Um, there's – the I think Travis DeCure's seven years, he's usually had a – not necessarily a dynamic, but a, a true big man that can, that can create – and last year was a little different, but a true big man um, that can – they kind of run inside-out offense through. And this year, it's, it, the offense looks so different because they don't have a ton of, of three-point shooters, though those guys are still young that could easily develop – where are the shots and what kind of shots they're looking to get is a little different this year because I think Michael Steven and Josh Bannon are both forwards that like to shoot it from the elbow. They're both 15 to 18 foot kind of guys, and you know their inside game is a little bit different than what Montana's had in the last decade. Uh, the guard play looks similar to what Travis Traviscu likes. I think he likes guys um, that you know push the, push the elbow but get it into the half court. They're billing passers and they're guys that Uh, you know, take shots when they're open, but usually are looking to to facilitate offense. Um, And, you know, Travis DeKir runs a mix of offense with set plays. So there's a little bit of like a motion style offense as well as some set plays. You know, he's pretty, he's pretty dynamic in running. I mean, he's a, he's a coach that likes to have his hands on the game. So it looks like that to me. It looks like Travis has a lot of control. Uh, It looks like there's some, some lineups that are still trying to be kind of figured out. Uh, But, the guard play is hard to miss. As far as like I mentioned, Parker, Beasley, Whitney, um, Vasquez. There's some there's some guys that are young and that are playing with, with, with dynamic pace and that they're unique. They're unique pieces, especially for being young. Will they put it together this year? I think it's hard to say. But right now, some of the you know some of the lapses of you know not only lapses losing such close games. Three of the four Big Sky conference games by a total of six points. I think those things come from just being a young team, and I, I don't necessarily think it's a, it's a fault of their own. Um, I think it might be actually good for them as, as you go down the season, having some of those close losses, kind of to learn from, and you kind of have the feeling of what it takes to 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 push yourself over the top, especially in conference play when it does get so tedious. This year is so different with the playing the same team on Thursday, Saturday. It's such a different dynamic. It's like these little mini series that are so important to win one of those games. If you win the first one, you're playing with house money. If you lose the first one, especially at home, like the Grizz did this last week, then all of a sudden you're kind of in an urgency. This like not panic mode, but there's a high level of urgency to get that second win on Saturday. Um, So I think for a young team, it's definitely a different model. One that, you know, older guys and older coaches experienced players and coaches haven't dealt with. So for the watching the young guys go through it, I think it'll be interesting to see how it develops up season.
1: He's Brooks Nwana sports SkylineSportsMT.com. You can find all his great photography there. He's also helping out with some of the reporting elements of things as well. Montana State's supposed to open conference play this week. We hope they do. The women will be at home in Bozeman. The men on the road at Northern Colorado. Montana Grizzlies, they're off this week from Big Sky Conference play, but they do have a doubleheader on Saturday against Whitworth. The men going first, not ladies first this time. Men first at 2, and then the, the ladies play, uh, Lady Grizz play at 7 p.m. against the Division Three Pirates uh, from over there in Spokane. We'll be doing this pretty much every week, so uh, we look forward to having you back again. But thanks so much for joining us today, Brooks.
2: Absolutely. Thanks, Colter. Good to talk, man.
1: College athletics is a fundamental part of the fabric of our communities in Montana, and it's the stories of these young men and women that drive our passion at Skyline Sports. Colter Nuwana's here. In 2015, my brother Brooks and I founded SkylineSportsMT.com. As a lifelong athlete, Brooks has an elite knowledge of football with a deep perspective with his time spent playing safety for the Montana Grizz football team, while I won a collection of sports writing awards, including 2010 Washington Sports Writer of the Year during my time in newspapers. Together, we can offer you the best sports journalism in the state with crisp writing, unbiased reporting, cutting edge photography, and a grassroots feel that belies the corporate takeover of modern media this day and age. As Montana natives, we have a deep historical knowledge of the fiercest rivalry in the West. We share a combined 22 years' experience involved in the Big Sky Conference. That experience gives us unparalleled knowledge of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics. If you'd like to experience this with us, visit Skyline Sports. And subscribe for only $8 a month or $90 a year. SkylineSportsMT.com. Every day, every season. So good stuff, and I have a couple other points I want to talk to you about. We will, we'll wait until we get – in terms of the tangible breakdowns of the rosters and and things like that, um, I think we can wait till next week because I do want to see some of these teams actually play in Big Sky Conference play. Like right now, the Cats haven't played a Big Sky game on the men's or women's side. Uh, Eastern Washington's only played one on the men's side, and so it's been sort of in flux. Yeah, as, as far as the tail of the tape right now, the only two men's teams that have played four Big Sky Conference games – are, uh, I guess there's three, Idaho State, Montana, and Northern Colorado. Those are the only three that have gotten all four games in. On the women's side, Idaho State has also gotten four in, as has Eastern Washington, Idaho, and Northern Arizona. So a little bit more on the women's side. But, Brooks, you mentioned uh, just the quality of the women's league. I think it's a good point. Right now I think the men's league is 28th in RPI, which is a far cry from where they were Back in 2017. Well, tell Her, the
2: folks how many how many total schools are there? There's how only 32 conferences. 20, so 28 is yeah, good. Twenty headlines. to 32. There you go.
1: Yeah, yep, yep. So I think that I think it's the Patriot League, the American <clears throat> East, the Northeast Conference, and uh, one other maybe HBCU conference that are below the Big Sky. So as far as uh, actual legitimate Division One conferences that have things like football and funding, the Big Sky men's side it's it's down. It's objectively down right now. The women's side though uh, is. It continues to be pretty darn strong, right in the middle of the pack. And I think we saw that, you know, um, two years ago with Northern Colorado getting an 11 seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. They obviously, or excuse me, a 10 seed, but then they got a terrible draw. They had to play Michigan. Surprised that the terrible draw is Michigan, just on the men's and the women's sides. But, uh, I mean, last year, for example, Montana State, I mean, what do you think that team would have gotten in the in the tournament? They could have been in the mix for like a 7, 8, 9 seed, right? Absolutely, and I think that they would have a chance to win. I mean, they were so senior-laden, which happens in women's
2: basketball often, but, I mean, gosh, they went 19-1. It was the best team in conference history.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean, it comes with a little bit of a caveat because Robin Selvig did have a handful of Lady Grizz teams that went um, undefeated, and that was only during a 16-game league schedule. But you're right, 19 league victories, including 17 in a row, pretty darn uh, impressive for the Montana State women. They are the team that has the biggest question marks coming into this year then because they go from a team with five seniors, including the Big Sky MVP and Fallon Frigi, to a team now, with when you put pencil to paper, I was actually surprised when I first heard this. The Utah commentators, when the Cats were playing at Utah, said this. They said, this is the youngest team in Division I basketball. I thought to myself, how can that be? And then I realized – Oh, Trisha Binford has six freshmen on her roster, including five that are in the rotation, including two that are in the starting lineup in KJ Lamardo and Taylor Jansen. And she's also playing a variety of sophomores, led by her outstanding sophomore point guard, Darian White, but also featuring Cole Badbear. And I know Madison Jackson will be a contributor once she gets back. Uh, she's been going, th- I mean, there's a lot of uh, gray area when it comes to Kids missing games. There is some HIPAA stuff. We can't really talk about it. Madison Jackson, I'll tell you this, is expected to be back. She's just been battling some illness stuff. So uh, we'll see when she gets back. But she she should be a contributor. But then, I mean, Lexi deedon has been getting minutes off the bench. Ava Rance has been getting minutes off the bench. Leah Beatty has been getting minutes off the bench. So then you realize, wow, this team has – one senior in Tory Martell, no real juniors that are in the rotation. I know Gabby Machi had a great game against Utah Valley the other day, uh, but it is an incredibly young team. But Coach Binford has been more steadfast in her promotion of the talent of this team than any I've heard. I mean, after the South Dakota State game, she said, I think we are the most talented team in the league, and I think if we can figure out how to correct our mistakes, I think we can win it again. I was very surprised to hear her say that, but you got to love that coming from the reigning Big State Conference Coach of the Year.
2: Yeah, they're good. Um, you know, I did get to see them play North Dakota, which was a you know, a like like opponent. <clears throat> they they are really good. They're they're dynamic. The freshmen are good. Um, I don't agree with Trish as far as that they're the most talented team in the league because <clears throat> they might be because they do likely have the best player in Jerry White. Um, but Idaho and Idaho State are both really tough. You know, Idaho State started five juniors last year, um, uh, and all five returned. So five senior starters with some dynamic some shooters, some really good defensive players, um, and then and then Idaho. You know, I think I think we're still working. We need to contact her and figure out if her name is actually Beyonce or Beyonce <laughs> Bay. <But>, uh, <laughs> right. We'll call her M- Mrs. Bay. She was a freshman last year. I believe that she was the freshman, or she was the she got second in freshman year to Darian White. Um, such a good player. I, if you remember, Colter said when you asked who's the preseason Big Sky player on the year on the women's side, I said Beyonce Bay. Um, I think that she's the best player in the league that's not Darian White. You know, she's the best forward in the league. She's all six 6'2". She can shoot the ball. Um, so those two teams, while I agree, I love uh, that coming from Trish because she's she's now, you know, she is kind of at the top of the food chain of, of the league as it stands this year. You know, coming off such a dynamic year last year, such a good year with a bunch of kids that she developed mostly. You know, Fallon was a was a transfer from North Dakota, but... You know, there was, you know, Blair Braxton and a bunch of kids on that team that she developed and started all four years. Um, Olivia Squires uh, was, you know, uh, a, a Trish product from day one. Every game that she played, Trish had her hand in, and Trish developed her to be, you know, an all-league style player. So where Trish stands in the food chain right now, you know, with John Newley and Seton Stobolesky, I think that she has the right to say that, and I kind of I love it, actually, especially from, for such a young team to give them so much confidence.
1: The coaching hierarchy in the Big Sky is so fascinating, too, because I think that there are these veteran coaches on the women's side that all have a definitive style, and there's not very much crossover in those styles. I mean, Satan Soboluski is a taskmaster. He wants toughness, defense, physical play. <laughs> you know, John Newley is is Mr. Slick. They're running Golden State Warriors offenses and shooting a million threes, and, and they're as fun to watch as anybody in the, in the western United States, honestly, when they get it going, especially when they had the Splash Sisters. Lori Payne seems like uh, an excellent coach in her attention to detail and the way that she guides her team. Yep. You know, Coach Binford is players' coach all the way. They're not even really trying to run a system. They're just trying to develop skill and just go out there and let it ride. Worry about what we do. Don't worry about what other teams do. And then Mike Petrino, he's actually putting his stamp on the Lady Grizz here pretty early on as well. They seem to be playing a lot more loose as well. Uh, but the coaches in this league, I mean, I think it's I think it's great because it's so um, it's so simple. Great veteran, experienced, proven coaches lead to consistent success. And that's, that hasn't been the case on the men's side with the exception of a few programs. It is definitely the case on the women's side.
2: It is. And, you know, you mentioned Petrino and the Lady Grizz. And I, I don't want to you know, go backwards and talk about what happened in the past and, and the who's, what's, when, where's, and why's, but it is pretty darn refreshing to see the Lady Grizz look like they're having fun. Um, you know, they look like there's a bunch of kids that are actually out there playing loose, uh, playing t- to their abilities. You know, I think of someone like uh, Sophia Stiles, who is just so fast from end to end um, on any court, on any level. She, You know, you take her and put her in a Texas A&M-Notre Dame game, and she'd be one of the fastest players in the country. I mean, she's a truly, you know, a- a- amazing athlete, and she looks like she's playing some of her best basketball, and a lot of it just has to do with attitude and Um, you know kind of the 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 freeness that they have which is it's been great to see and they have kids too that are kind of changing the mold of what they were when the first couple years of their careers to what they are now like g feller i mean she's playing at a whole new level and uh, i think that's pretty exciting to see
1: do a little rapid fire here for the last couple of minutes, and then we'll get you out of here. So uh, I just want you to tell me to, just a one sentence at a time what you're the most intrigued about for uh, a couple different teams on both the men's and women's side. First, let's start with the Idaho women. What are you most intrigued about with the Vandals?
2: Well, I think that you know we talked about Beyonce and uh, Darian White. I think that Gina Markson, you know, arguably is the best player in the league. Um, Darian White brings so much defensively that. That's a little bit of a, of a game-changer. But Gina, I think Gina Marks, you could easily win uh, the, the, the regular season. But if not, definitely the postseason, the big-side conference tournament MVP. Um, just her style, her ability to shoot the ball is next level. So I want to see what she's kind of getting slept on, I think, as far as the the, the, the lead picture goes.
1: I know State, Stefania Orr is back in the mix to add to Dora Golis and Callie Bourne. What do you think of the Bengals?
2: Well, they're... My favorite team to watch in the league, like I mentioned the other day, all I need in my life is Idaho, Idaho State women. Sign me up, give me a court, <laughs> the court, me court side. I want to watch it. I love it so much. Um, if you if you haven't tuned into something like that, you know, it's like you say, it's like the Warriors playing like the 90s Pistons or something. It's so fun. It's just two way different styles. Uh, but uh, Idaho State's always going to be in it. A, a team that's that senior laden um, and it can shoot the ball. Um, Mon- gosh I can't remember Montana's last name
1: Montana mm, I'll tell you though, uh,
2: and
1: yeah Montana Otroge
2: Otroge um, Otroge and Dora uh, Dor- Goales yep. are both like really true shooters like they are people that can make their own shots that can hit threes Goales is tremendous she's she's a fun player to watch super fun um, so all those, I think that Senior five is such a unique group, and they're so willing to play defense. Cali Bourne is just a beast; one of my favorite players in the league. Yeah, um, that whole team excites me, but that that senior five really—I mean, they could go out and win it. You know, I think even with—I don't think that they would even be an underdog in a lot
1: of sure. games. And they're playing Diaba Canote on the ball a little bit now too. And she was sort of this raw. Canote, all, she
2: played she played on the ball last year. She's so damn athletic. She's got like a thirty-inch bird. She's a, as a girl. I mean, she can go up and. Get boards. She's only
1: like 5'6". She's awesome. Yeah, she's a great explosive athlete. I think that we both kind of agree that Portland State, Sac State, Southern Utah, Weber State, are, are that's kind of the defined uh, bottom third of the league. Eastern Washington, though, their fall from being one of the top better teams in the league has been interesting, and then they lose um, the the Ozzy, the great Ozzy, and they also lose Bella Cravens to the transfer portal, so Grace Kirchner and a couple other returners, but but not much there. Uh, Eastern's probably going to be fighting for the top spot in the bottom tier of this league. Northern Colorado, uh, it's been interesting to see since Cammie Etheridge left, but um, I do think they have one of the best players in the league, and Alicia Davis, we'll see if they can uh, utilize her to the maximum. Um, We got your thoughts on Montana Montana State. We'll break that down throughout the rest of the year. So one last team then for you on the women's side, Northern Arizona's women.
2: A team that I love, man. Uh, Lori Payne. It's it's so fun to to watch her. You know, Go Blue Ponies. A Haber product. Um, who had such a great college career at Washington State, right? Washington, Washington State.
1: Washington University of Washington.
2: Wash. You know, she, such a great career there. Um, she's so fun. When I talked about throughout this podcast and throughout a radio segment, getting to to know coaches, but also getting to hear them talk throughout the entire game. You're sitting on the court. She's one of my favorites. She has such good touch and feel for her team. Um, she's a players' coach that demands a high level of defense, which is kind of like, you know, what does players' coach mean? Players' coach to me means that you ask your players what they need and when they need it. Uh, it's not necessarily that you're deciding that for them. You're kind of being there as a guide, but not necessarily the person that's deciding everything. She runs kind of that players' program that keeps what keeps each other accountable. Um, I really like that team. They're another team that, if they stay healthy, I think is, you know, a top four contender. There's someone that you'll... Like we see in the semis if they stay healthy
1: on the men's side, we'll we'll do this game next week because we already talked quite a bit about the men's teams um, throughout this podcast. but is there anything uh, that you're really like looking at? Is, is there any like mystery to the men's side of the league or is there anything that that is just something that really stands out to you that could be uh, a surprise or because I mean, to, to me, it seems like because Montana's so young because we were so unknown. And because teams like Idaho and Northern Arizona just aren't really in the mix right now, that the league is uh, shrouded in mystery and completely unpredictable.
2: I think that's what I would be looking for: is the team, you know, in the next four, three or four weeks, who starts to make a move. Uh, I mean, you know me; I'm a pretty big Southern Utah. I wouldn't call it a fan, but advocate as far as I think that they have a lot of talent. I really like their style which isn't a style. It's just pick up basketball. It's just play. <laughs> Whoever's hot, trying to play defense, but it doesn't really matter if you do or not because you're going to try to score 80. Um, I, I just like that team. I think that they're interesting. I, I, I sometimes just think to myself, how can't Montana, Montana State, get of these kind of guys? Like you said, that Danny Strinkle passed up on the Illinois transfer in Like, Why not take him? Like They have some dynamic athletes. They have some big, long dudes. They have some 6'8", six, 6'9", six, dudes that can put it on the floor. No and question. My in Montana State haven't had a lot of those. So, they might uh, now. With, I mean, Drew Bill Bellow
1: could be that guy if he fulfills his potential for sure at Montana State.
2: He can't put – but he's a he's a true 5 in this sure, kind of league. Sure. He's, he's not a 3 that can put it on the deck like some of these guys can. Right, totally. Um, you know, I like I like their leadership. You know, I'm, a, I'm a big John Knight fan. A uh, kid from Jackson, Mississippi that went to Utah State and would never be at Southern Utah if he didn't go to Utah State. And why did he go to Utah State from Jackson, Mississippi? I don't know. Is that the best move for that kid? <laughs> some coach told him at some point it was. Um, clearly now he's going to have some success at Southern Utah. He's a dynamic guard too. I keep saying dynamic because there, it's hard to say that these guys are athletic because, of course, they're athletic. But there is a certain pace and abil- an athletic ability that, that takes it to that next level. So Southern Utah would be a team that I'd be looking for. Um, same with, you know, I gotta see what Eastern can do. Because if Eastern isn't what it's all cracked up to be, if they if Jacob Davidson can't take them to a championship, then I think it's completely wide open.
1: No question. We'll continue to break it down right here on the Big Sky Breakdown presented by Blackfoot Communications for Brooks Nuanas. I'm Colter Nuanes. Thanks so much for listening.
0: to more.